0: Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve.
1: Hey, I'm Mark Lee. Uh, no, scratch that. I am Faxor uh, Class 20 Mage, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to be your dungeon master for this edition of the uh, Community Recap. And I'm joined with uh, Matt Ryder. Matt, what class are you, and what's your level?
0: I'm, a, I'm a Downy uh, Downey Whitesalot. Um, The night of the clean sheets, of the snuggly soft sheets. And I am a uh, a paladin. I'm a a level 18 paladin with um, uh, lots of dexterity, but uh, uh, very little, I don't know, uh, wisdom or intelligence.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say very low levels of melanin, whatever it is.
0: (laughs) Melanin, very low levels of melanin. Yeah, no, I am I am Sir Matt the, the Pink. I am Sir Matt the been out in the sun too much this weekend. Yeah.
1: Um, so in, in, case, in case you haven't figured it out, we're talking about the uh, Dungeons and Dragons episode of Community that just aired this past weekend. In fact, the second time that Community has done a Dungeons and Dragons episode. Um, probably not as good as the first time they did it, but we'll talk more about that in just a second. Um, but before we get into the meat of this, uh, I wanted to uh, have our discussion framed in the context of our respective relationships and knowledge of role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, in particular, and high, high fantasy in general. So, Matt, uh, let's start with you. Uh, have you been a dungeon master in your time? Have you rolled the twenty-sided die, the d twenty?
0: Huzzah! Yes, I had a little. I had a little velvet pouch that had all of my polyhedral uh, dice in it. And I had a um I had a player's guide, a player's handbook and a monstrous compendium uh for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition. So, nice. so when
1: you say something like level twelve paladin, and you actually know what that means, right? Unlike me. I do. Now, I, are- I,
0: I gotta say, I wanted to be into D D more than I actually was uh into D&D maybe it had to do with being like an artsy theater kid in high school but like i got my i got my pretending uh rocks off that way and yeah. um and i did i sort of didn't didn't need to do that and then like later on my friends got my nerdy friends got into the white wolf games um especially what is that? Uh, uh White Wolf was a publisher. It was a, a game studio that published a bunch of role-playing games. Uh, one of them was called Vampire the Masquerade, and another one that was in the same world or the same sort of role-playing continuity was called Mage the Ascension. A uh, lot uh, of my friends got into Vampire. I liked Mage better. I, I enjoyed reading the... The big thick player's guide of Mage better than the one from uh, from Vampire, but they but but I guess like uh, when we were teenagers, we were into vampires before they were all Twilight cool. So um, and then they start like my friends and I started working more more uh, after school in like professional theater and like apprenticing and stuff. And my friends, uh, my nerdy friends, started LARPing and uh, okay I so they went off and, yeah I you know, wasn't super, yonder direction yeah i wasn't super down i wasn't super down with that but i had um and then i also like i bought like some of the Neverwinter nights uh uh mass market paperback novels and there was a a um a set of pc games and i think i had a couple of them and i i I never i wanted to be i wanted to be into it i want mark i wanted to lose myself in a fantastical dream world of of magic and and daring do uh and it just i don't know it never happened um it never happened for me uh, yeah,
1: I mean it's something similar so to me as well. Like you know, in some ways, like we we are the folks that um, one would expect to have engaged in you know lots of tabletop role playing games and Dungeons and Dragons or that sort of thing, and maybe other folks in the overthinking your crew uh, that applies you more, uh, but not us, right? But I, so we come at this like sl- uh, slightly alienated, I'd say, from from the tabletop role playing game, uh, but familiar with it and its tropes and are and can at least appreciate it, right? So we're probably actually. Pretty representative of the community audience in that mm-hmm. regard, right? So, just uh, for me, right? Like, I think I played Dungeons and Dragons once or twice. Um, just for whatever reason, the friends, even the nerdy ones, okay, all my friends are nerdy. My nerdy friends uh, were never into Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and, like, sort of our. You know, most explored areas of nerddom were things like Star Wars and Star Trek, right? You know, science fiction as opposed to high fantasy. Um, I did, however, uh, spend plenty of time on the computer, uh, not like uh, you know, with uh, uh, you know, Super Nintendo uh, fantasy games like Final Fantasy, but with computer role-playing games like Ultima. And I talked a lot about Ultima on Overthinking It before. Matt, have you ever played Ultima, or are you familiar with it?
0: No, sir. I mean, I'm familiar with it, but I've not, I've not played it.
1: Yeah it's it's uh you know it's, it's a PC role playing games you click you move your guy around you have a party you cast spells you have character classes um and you level up right so you know I'm familiar with you know that introducing me to some of the lexicon around dexterity and intelligence and strength and whatnot and how many and hit points um it, it, in life I have come to try to advance the number of hit points that I have and yet it seems like uh as i increase my experience the number of hit points that I can sustain goes down. Hmm. That's um, uh, an unfortunate uh, aspect of growing old, I guess, which uh, is, in a way, the ultimate role-playing game, Matt, <laughs> in a way. Um, so, yeah, so all that is... To say, uh, other thing, I guess, to add is that, you know, um, when, like, Lord of the Rings movies came- rolled around, right, um, high fantasy uh, experienced its real moment, you know, and that's what was with, with uh, the, the mid-aughts, right, Where those, or the, the golden years... Of high fantasy in, in some ways they still continue right high fantasy is still uh very popular although maybe not quite in the in the fever uh the, the fever pitch that it was back then but certainly the um, most recent hobbit movies are doing quite well at the box office right well, I, I don't know matt sort of, what's your sense of the state of high fantasy these days
0: well it's i you know it's funny like i'm not sure that a lot of uh really intense high fantasy fans would would say that the the peter jackson adaptations are as sort of demanding right as the as the originals are um yeah right like because they're 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 sort of dumbed down and they're sort of they're they're changed for a for a mass audience i mean i don't know it's it's more a game of thrones world than a J.R.R. tolkien world don't you don't sure, you sure yeah it's and, gritty, and he, uh, a pretty reboot
1: yeah and, and that had not uh just come up when earlier when i was talking about it because i haven't watched so much game of thrones i haven't read the books i don't know much about it in that regard but i know that um that you're into it and just that it, people in general are are into it right uh, yeah, I, mean, I mean, like, just I live by Lincoln Center in New York City, and apparently there is a, an enormous dragon in Lincoln Center, like, in front of the famous fountain that's there. And, um, yeah, I, I, like, I, I, that's the thing that I should have gone out of my way to go see it if I were uh, a bigger fantasy, high fantasy fan. But uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, um, I, over, I mean, I'm terrible. It. To the extent that this is my job, I'm terrible at my job. So,
0: Overthinking uh, It writer Shane Molowski has sat on the Iron Throne model that was in New York for the premiere of the – uh, upcoming season at the big yeah, party. Yeah, so to have. the extent
1: to which doing uh, taking advantage of awesome pop culture things is part of our jobs, and Shana is doing a great job yeah. of it. Me, well, I just barely watched this episode of Community and threw some notes together to talk about it. So, on that note, with that context about our relationships to high fantasy or the lack thereof, let's talk about this episode, right? Which is only partly about playing Dungeons and Dragons, but is really about something else, right? You know, you think... Uh, using a constructed uh mechanism like tabletop role playing game to uh help mediate interpersonal relationships right mm-hmm. so um we've
0: seen this before five, a lot five you know, meow, meow right? beans for that answer mark
1: oh oh thanks thanks that's a good callback to the previous community episodes right like which uh, by the way like you know, would we ever see a meow meow beans ever reference in Community again? It's not that kind of show, but I think it would be kind of cute sure. if, um, if there was sort of a throwaway reference to it. But um, okay, so in Community we see this before, right? You know, Troy and Abed—they um, uh, because they uh, have some difficulty expressing their feelings for each other and having that interpersonal level at a very direct way—they go about it in a very indirect way with the hot lava game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could rule out countless other examples, but community, uh, in, in a, in a, like, a lot of things involving Abed, right, are examples of this because he has trouble uh, relating to other people. Um, he uh, uses pop culture and, uh, and, and sort of mythical storytelling and imagination to create ways for him to have those sort of relationships, right? But in this situation, it's not so much Abed, or even in the—it's not so much Abed having—trying uh, to, uh, you know, immediate that relationship between him and someone else— In both the previous Dungeons and Dragons episode as well as this one, um, Dungeons and Dragons is being used as a tool to get other people to deal with whatever issues that they're dealing with, right?
0: Right, and it's it's uh, it's in an interest. Right, it's in it's a pretext for a kind of uh, it's a pretext for a kind of proxy interaction that is meant to be a proxy for a real interaction and so finding you know uh, it's it's a very complicated series of indirections uh you know that forms that that forms when you actually think about what is actually their aim in setting up this uh this game of dungeons and dragons at obit and annie's apartment it's also generically it's a bottle episode right it's a one set uh it's a one set episode and is, you know, is really, is characteristic of the season of community because I think it's, it's good without uh, a ton of resources with just a few, I mean, just a few sort of uh, uh, little visual effects added in afterwards and sound effects. very yeah. important Part of this. Um, also the, uh, but just, just surviving on the writing and the performances of the actors who are all very good. Um, uh, doing a lot with with not a ton of money, and is is really uh, I, I don't know is really admirable for that reason.
1: Yeah, I mean, like uh, just the, the bit of going on a bit of a tangent here, right? Which generally think about uh, comedy shows, I don't think so much about production value, right? You just sort of accept that you know they're going to have a limited number of places that they visit, and you know you're not going to see a lot of uh, fancy things on screen right but it's just that we happen to be talking about it more because of the whole dan Harmon is in the rehab thing and how the meta story of community is part and part is inseparable from the story of the 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 the, the story of the community uh episodes themselves right i mean like i don't know when's the last time you saw like a big bang theory for example and thought like ooh that's some really high production yeah i don't know i don't know Terrible analog,
0: but I don't watch um, the three. I don't watch the three camera sitcoms that much. I saw a little uh, bit of early Two Broke Girls, uh, and it's you know it seems that there is a third set, um, kind of like Starbucks has a third place. Starbucks is a third place, right? Like there is usually a third set, right? There's home, there's work, and then there's often a third, uh, a third the set. The bar. How right. yeah, I
1: third, mentioned
0: to go to the bar. Oh sure, but um, I meant like a. a a third set that figures into the episode. So like in, in two broke girls, it was often like someone else's apartment or something like that, that there's like a third place. That's not a usual place that they go. So they have like, they have the home base, they have the, like the workplace or the, the gathering place. And then there is like an episode, an episode specific set. And we've been getting, getting by without a lot of that on community this year, just kind of keeping it contained in the, uh, Keeping it contained in in the the school or in the sets that are already standing, like um, yeah. Abed and Annie's not Ab- Abed and Annie's apartment. I nearly said Troy, um, and also sort of uh, calling out the the uh, financial straits that they're in with some of these Save Greendale committee meetings, like the one at the beginning of this episode where the dean says, you know, uh, talking speaking of insurance, we need some, you know. <laughs> We got to um, get us some of that.
1: Yeah, th- those references are, are pretty funny. And, uh, you know, you guys actually, in the last uh, community recap that you did with, with you and Ryan, in, um, did you call out uh, Dean Pelton's amazing uh, payday uh, freestyle rap?
0: No, but it was, yeah, it yeah. was so excellent.
1: That was, uh, yeah, it's probably one of the best moments of, uh, of that entire show. Um, and so I just wanted to um, uh, not let it go unremarked upon. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went back and, and, and replayed it; it was just as good the second time. Um, okay, so let's come back to uh, the, the course of the episode, the story of the episode itself, and this whole thing about how um, you know D and D is uh, being used as a ploy to get uh, Professor Hickey to bond with his uh, somewhat estranged son, right? And um, the, the the episode. Uh, it seems to have a bit of a strange, um, approach to how effective this, uh, this sort of thing actually is and for the most part, it seems to come down in the way it says it like, you know, the, whatever way you can get, you know, two people to talk to each other and, and try to work things out, even if it's through, um, this highly contrived thing, well, that's a good thing. Right. But it also, there's this sort of weird lack of closure at the end of the episode, um, and and sort of the other thing thinking about when, when it comes to this is that um, you know does community as a whole when when it comes to thinking about how you know grown adults are supposed to interact with each other you know is it a general approving of these sorts of uh, mediated experiences um, or, you know it, how what does it stands towards it is it saying that this is a healthy way to approach relationships or is it saying somehow this is like a you know um, a a, a a form of lack of emotional maturity that you have to do these things.
0: Sure. I mean, community is a world where a lot of social traditions and a lot of social norms have been evacuated um, there there. And, and I think that that's, I think that the, the way we know that is that it sort of calls out Greendale as being a, it posits Greendale as being a, um, a sort of an imitation of a real college, even a, right. a, a, an imitation of a real um, community college, uh, though you can get a four-year degree there, it seems, it seems like the whole school has kind of an inferiority complex and has an in- inferiority complex as far as, as traditions. And you think of, you know, one of the things you think of with college and like uh, colleges as these institutions that have histories and that have traditions uh, that derive from the histories is that it, it gives you a way to act. You know, if it's, if it's such and such a day, you know, we must be streaking through the library because that's what happens. today. Right? <laughs> we must be like the, the, the uh, fraternities must be, you know, uh, accepting their pledges or you know ple- people must be pledging or they must be being initiated or you know i don't know whatever if
1: you're if you're in the marching band and you're in a bus on the right back from the football game and that's the time to sing dirty songs right
0: um, yeah these sort of these
1: hypothetically things, speaking right that, that, that we didn't do that matt
0: not we wouldn't know anything no. we wouldn't know anything about that As she lay between the lily white sheets with nothing on at all the um the the that itself is is sort of a um, is kind of a practice version of the social norms of a of a society that has certain certain accepted social rituals for um, interacting with one another. And community is saying that like, look, we have the broke ass version of that, right? We have the we have the mascot that is literally like that is literally a Ken doll with all the hair ripped off, right? That is literally a like. Uh, uh you know a uh neutered a featureless um human being with some some budget eyes painted on and the only traditions we have are sort of the ones that we make and it's the the purpose of this is twofold one it it highlights the constructedness of these social traditions and even the ones that feel ancient and authoritative um were dreamed up by someone at some point and have changed over time and have served different purposes over time and two it it provides an opportunity for um, it provides an opportunity for drama because we can always fight about the the traditions, the the new traditions, the new sort of budget broke ass traditions that we're um, inaugurating, right? And uh-huh. the fat dog, the whole fat dog thing, uh, the whole fat dog thing is. is is great is a great example of this, right? Because like the fat dog song ends, like, it's a phrase you've heard your entire life. It's not made up. It's not made up. And that's actually the, the, um, unspoken claim of every tradition, right? Like, oh no, you've heard this your entire life. It's not just made up by someone when in fact it was, uh, at some point or developed at some point from sort of earlier, more primitive, more uh more primitive materials so that's that's a long way around the barn to answer your question to say that i think what the show is saying about uh about this game of dungeons and dragons and and this is a mode for adults to relate to each other i think the claim that's that's being made is not that this is a degraded um you know a lower quality version of a social uh, interaction ritual. I think the claim is that in fact, all of that old quote unquote, real tradition that you may, uh, have in your mind and think is sort of relatively privileged is in fact, just as silly as a game of, of, um, dungeons and dragons
1: precisely, which is why when picky and his son are, are feuding over family events and things like that, right? You know, child's birthday party, Christmas, Thanksgiving, these things are brought up, right? Which are, uh, uh, might be the quote unquote normal venues for adults to have interactions and to relate to each other, right? But but that, what according to what you're saying, Matt, those are just as constructed and just as sort of contrived as a game of Dungeons and Dragons, right? I mean,
0: Thanksgiving, if you think that shit's not made up, I got a bridge and. and <laughs> <laughs> <just telling> <laughs>
1: Eat your turkey and watch the football. It's not made up. Not made up. <laughs> right.
0: Oh yeah, no. Gosh. Pilgrims and Indians loved each other. Yeah. Loved yeah. Each other. Yo, they... that's, not that's
1: not a construct at all. No, no, no. That's not parts of something that, um, you know, that, that came out of hegemonic discourse. No. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't hurt
0: no. the dominant power structure at all. It's just yeah. been that way forever. Yeah, yeah. Cornucopia. Okay. So. Corn of plenty.
1: So w- with that being established, right, um, the episode ends a little bit ambiguously, right, and uh, I would I would say a little bit unsatisfactorily, as well, with Hickey and his son. Um, uh, so they uh, they learned the lesson, right, which is that because they were too busy fighting with each other, they weren't able to uh, defeat the necromancer, um, and then they're left sort of like just hash it out, but. Uh, for to find some way to cooperate with between the two of them to try to achieve the larger goal whether it's defeat the necromancer or you know have a normal fame life or whatever it is right like what was your take on the ending like were you satisfied by it do you feel like uh it, it made sense given the rest of the story
0: i think that the withholding of satisfaction is something that that um this show is doing purposefully here because what what jeff says this is the best that most fathers and sons can do right like is that there's not a there's not a uh ta-da right there's not a like a big dramatic cadence and um everything is good from that point on right right um, they
1: explicitly say they can't just hug it out right and then yeah. like you know, be a good father-son pair, and I'll be happy after that.
0: As though, right? But because they would start like a shoving fight, they would start a slap fight if they started hugging <laughs> it out, right? And like, the idea that I mean, in this case, um, I don't know. I I happen to have a very different relationship with my father than than this one because I'm kind of a weird guy, and my dad's kind of a weird guy, as you'd expect, given that I'm his progeny. Um, but uh, the you know that this sort of. Uh, this sort of bickering, you know, sort of being at each other's throats is, is the relationship, right? There's, there's right. not a, there's not a, a, it's not like um, there's a good relationship and a bad relationship and they have the bad relationship and they need to have the good relationship. If there's going to be a relationship, the reality of it for these two people is that it's going to be bickering uh, all the time. And what we can do is restore their ability to bicker, right if and that they're... is still a good thing to
1: be yeah, clear yeah. also right that like them bickering at each other um is not sort of ultimately destructive to the two of them i mean i mean some people that might not be the case right like i don't oh, know Sure, but Sometimes, those people like, you know have... parents are estranged from their children for um i'm not gonna say for good reasons but uh you know, it might be better to have. To
0: no, have, many families uh, are estranged for very, for very good reasons. Right. Like, because it, uh, you know, not because of some, some bruised egos and petty bullshit that people can't get over. I mean, you know, sometimes terrible things happen in families and it rips them apart. And that's not, that's not what this is about. Right. What this is about is, um, uh, there's a, a British psychoanalyst, uh, 20th century. Well, they're all 20th century really, because psychoanalysis is not that old. Uh, so um but uh donald winnicott d w winnicott uh was his name and he he focused on um mostly mothers and the uh, he, I, he was a, a pediatrician i think who moved over into uh, who moved over into head shrinking and um, focused on the role of of mothers especially in 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 child development and he he one of his his insights and the thing that he's he's maybe most remembered for is the idea of a good enough mother right yeah uh, the the idea of being like don't get hung up on trying to be good right be good enough because uh-huh. good is a standard good is a standard that you're never going to hit uh, often because like internally that standard is constructed to mean that like the thing that i'm not you know is good yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um and that focus on being focus on being good enough right like focus on on sort of getting on getting through the day and and I think at its bottom community has has a kind of sarcasm has a has a certain amount of of uh, uh, not not bitterness but has a certain am- uh, amount of of um, hard hard nosed uh uh, hard-nosed realism about what's what's possible in the world and and that it's not sort <laughs> yeah. of possible to meet our to meet our ideals but it is possible for us together to to muddle through right um and and yeah. the, the sense what what happens in this um in this episode is d- two people who can't uh two people who can't Really, be in the same room are converted into two people who can muddle through. However, in you know, in however inefficient and however uh, less than ideal a manner, they now can 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 muddle through. And yeah. you know,
1: things do right. a constructed social interaction.
0: Yeah, sure. That, I mean, I, but but the, no less constructed than any constructed social interaction.
1: Yeah. And, and, and so you, you could argue in some ways that at least in this case, it's a better one because they came in with low expectations. Right. I'm like <laughs> in like Thanksgiving or Christmas when you come in with very high expectations. Right. All you have know, the discourse.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Which is why my girlfriend and I never try try not to be with anybody's family for Christmas, right? Like any other of the three hundred sixty four days a year, we'd be delighted to see you, but you're probably just going to get pissed off at us on Christmas, um, because that's what Christmas is for. <laughs> Thanksgiving. Um,
1: I, there's this is the total sidetrack here, but um, I like this idea of like opting out of at least like Christmas. For a lot of people, it's not an option to miss that, right? But you can opt out of Thanksgiving more easily. You know, just like, just get yourself out of the country, right? Like, have some other sort of obligation.
0: Yeah, actually. The
1: ridiculousness of having to fly on Thanksgiving and on Christmas and have to deal with all that family
0: crap twice just within the span of one month delve down your rat hole a, a little further yeah we actually christmas is not the one for us it is actually thanksgiving and we have a like uh we have a touching relationship story about why thanksgiving is very meaningful to us and we can't come visit you on thanksgiving but need need in fact to be by ourselves uh and, and not with not with family because
1: on that day you uh you engage in live acts and role-playing with each other
0: <laughs> yes Hey, speaking of another constructed social interaction, you think you think anything you do in in that realm is quote unquote natural? Yeah, right. Sure. Go go right ahead. Keep breathing that. I have a bridge to sell you that Chris Christie is going to cause a traffic jam on. Uh, what's what's so, next, Mr. Uh, Master? Yeah. Let's moving on then to it, uh,
1: a different sort of a father-son dynamic, a very different kind of father-son dynamic. I'm of course referring to that of uh the Dean uh Dean Pelton and Jeff Winger, right? <laughs> between Joseph Gordon Diehard and uh that was I think um the Dean Pelton's uh character's name, right? And what was yes. Jeff Winger's character's name? Sir Riggs Diehard, right? Sir Riggs Diehard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so I mean this has been a long running gag in community, right? Uh Dean Pelton's mm-hmm. unrequited uh homosexual love for Jeff Winger. Right, um but in this way, like you know it, it takes on a very bizarre turn with uh, um a a sort of father son dynamic which turns into a romantic one um so what's going on here, Matt, is this just um a, a, an opportunity to highlight Dean Pelton and just his overall deviance <laughs> deviant sexuality you know how he's just uh it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't roll with uh, the way that society uh, would 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 declare normal
0: yeah they make a lot of they make a lot of hay out of that um you know rubbing that sword uh in that yeah. shot about the you know and the arm. So let's see if yeah can... it wasn't just
1: that's a also visual medium there. i'm yeah. trying to
0: recreate i'm trying yeah. to recreate the shot here yeah there it is as you can see him <laughs> sort of cleaning his sword at night he's you know um but uh but no what i think is going on here is that they're they're it's the the sort of theme is being recapitulated in a, in a uh satirical register or in a sort of funny right and far and farcical farcical that's the word i want right like um uh-huh. cuz what's being satired, it's not satirical it's a farce uh in a farcical register right like the 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 um uh sort of drama the interpersonal drama of a uh father who can't be bothered who is indifferent and in fact um outright hostile and uh you know a son who sort of wants uh uh closeness and warmth and relationship and and uh togetherness um with his father uh uh, right. And and sort of doesn't doesn't get it. And it ends in it ends in uh, not to be a downer. This one ends sort of ridiculously with with the Dean impaled uh, on his father's sword. Another thing where there is sure <laughs> a whole lot of of sort of innuendo, especially as he sort of gets closer to to hug. Um, good. Uh, the blade uh, really digging deep into the yeah. <laughs> flesh. Right. Just sticking it in really hard. Good bit of good bit of acting and directing, like really well, yeah, really well yeah. put together yeah. that that sequence. Um, but it, you can also imagine not to be a downer. You can also imagine that this is actually sort of the emotional experience that David Cross's character had of like a little piece of him dying inside because his dad <laughs> doesn't love him. Right. And is a dick uh, about uh about a lot, a lot of things, so you know not to not to just drag us down here, but i I think that that it's actually i think that what's happening is that it's commenting on it's commenting on the other relationship and, and trying in however in however ridiculous uh, a register trying to underline um the the underline the actual um interpersonal dynamics that are at play
1: sure yeah and and I, I want to congratulate you and and Shirley. Um, more so than me, right? I want to congratulate the two of you for doing a really good job of connecting um, communities A and B plots, right? Oh, sure. I mean, this this episode was less a sort of like A and B plot, traditional A and B plot thing, but there was certainly that Jeff and the Dean uh, subplot within the larger plot, right? right. Uh, but you guys have been doing a great job of connecting the two of them together when I am often sort of thinking like, uh, oh, those two of them are probably connected together because Community is in general such a very thoughtful and well-constructed show, but I can't quite put into words how that's being done, right? Just to point out a few other examples, um, like Chang's uh, ghost story um, from the— um, Oh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. From, yeah, from the, from the, from the Brit uh, activism story, and then just last week, right, connecting the VCR story with the Breaking Bad story the two of them going together. And like, when you explain it sort of like, Oh, of course. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But, um, sort of on the surface, like, uh, you know, they, they, they feel like they ought to be connected, but it takes a little bit of extra thinking to, to to establish that connection. Um, so beyond just sort of, you know, just congratulating us because we're awesome. Right. I, I wanted to just take on a brief detour for a moment and ask, like, is this typical, do you think this is typical of sitcoms, or is this something uh, unique to *Community* and how uh, how it does these things and how well it does these
0: things? No, I think it has. I think it has to do with with Dan Harmon. I mean, like one of the one of the 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 Dan Harmon story circle is like it's you know it's fascinating because it's a way. Um, it's a way to systematize something that's that is systematizable, but that is, it's it's a way of sort of giving order to something that, that feels chaotic or that feels uh, sort of out of control. Like the process of inspiration, the process of, of constructing a story and one, one aspect of it is the points on a clock. And again, using the visual medium of our video recap, I am drawing a circle in the air with my finger and uh, taking off the, the 12 points on the clock, or I, I think eight, right? Like a character who sort of descends and reascends, uh, in the joseph campbell hero's journey way um sort of uh triumphing over something but paying a price uh for it and coming back where they um Coming back to where they started, uh, tellingly for Dan Harmon, it's a circle. It's not a like a V. I think the Joseph Campbell one is is charted out as a V a lot of the time, as though like descending into a valley and coming up again on the mountain at the oh. other side. Um, it, you're not on the other side in Dan Harmon's universe. You're back where you started, um, but with more knowledge and with you know sadder and wiser, sadder mm-hmm. and wiser. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the other thing is that there there are like quadrants um in the story circle, uh in the Dan Harmon sort of storytelling system. And uh they have to do with like characters and themes, right? So like uh in the first Dungeons and Dragons one, I think uh this sort of control was a major theme and who, who was in control and who was actually sort of running the show and who was entitled to be in control and Jeff versus, Jeff versus Pierce um you know and a lot of right. a lot of this stuff. So so but that it it really cut across all aspects of that particular uh, story, if you remember the the first Dungeons and dragons episode it's constructed thematically right, and so that that sort of unity of theme is something that I think is important in in the writing of this show, and you know in the uh, as the sort of people who are gui- it's important to the people who are guiding the writing of the show, so I think it's not. Um, I think it's it's fair of us to sort of look for uh, and and sort of expect a, a kind of thematic unity uh, out of community that you don't necessarily get in um, that you don't necessarily get in Two and a Half Men. Uh, well, there's
1: another sort of how uh, they regarded sci like like uh, like Parks and Rec, right? I don't know if you Parks, watch Parks and Rec, Rec or, or Thirty Rock, Rock or typically or... just sort of all branch off in their own directions and don't come yeah, yeah, yeah. back together. Right.
0: Um, um, that, that here, they're all, that they're all sort of, there is a unity of, there is a unity of theme, right. Yeah, in, yeah. in these things.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, we talked about some of the, you know, storytelling, storytelling constructs. And so let's wrap this up with another storytelling construct, which played prominently in this episode, uh, that of the sequel. Oh, sure. Right. So Matt, you had some thoughts about this. So, uh, what are your thoughts in terms of how community was being self-aware about this, uh, episode being a sequel?
0: Well, it's it's interesting the speech that they give to Abed at the beginning where he says, you know, a satisfying sequel is difficult to pull off. So many geniuses have defeated themselves through hubris and making uh uh making this a chance to prove I'm better than all of them, I'm in. You know? And that's Right,
1: right. Okay. Yeah, I remember sort that of now.
0: tipping his hand uh tipping his hand a little bit and kind of showing a side an aspirational side of Abed that that we don't usually we don't usually see. You sort of think of him in in his um uh, you know, abstraction from the world and his as not really having drives like this, but sort of a drive to be a better, uh, drive to be a better um, storyteller, a better, uh, and sort of being being competitive uh, that yeah. way.
1: So, it, it through Abed's speech, is that the show trying to give itself a pass, make an excuse for itself, and say that, you know, this might, it's not going to quite. You know, be the same as the first one, or is it issuing a challenge itself and say, I'm uh, this is going to top the first one?
0: Well, yeah, or 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 saying that, like, or saying that, like, we want it whether whether or not we do, whether we succeed or fail, our quest is to top ourselves, you know, and and our quest is to sort of our, our quest is to sort of um, it's also, I mean, it's also like this the this particular. Uh, quotation from Abed with its invocation of so many so many geniuses it 's not necessarily trying to like top yourself it 's looking outward at other people who have attempted sequels and saying i 'm better than them and that 's interesting in light of the number of cameos from other prominent showrunners who have who have been on on uh, uh, community this season uh, obviously um, Vince Gilligan on the VCR game episode, but then uh, remember kugler uh, was Mitch Hurwitz from Arrested Development, right? Oh, that's who that was. Okay. And uh, uh, and here, huh. David Cross, we think of as mostly as a performer, but he's also uh, involved as the creative force behind Mr. Show, which is acknowledged as being a, a sort of seminal comedy text. You know, he's yep. one of the uh, him and Odenkirk, right? Like we're we're right. sort of the primary forces. I don't know. Don't, you know it, don't email me if I'm wrong. He's associated with the show and with a lot of the creative act, uh, activity around that show. And so having him on is, I think he's actually in this line of, of um, sort of powerful, powerful showrunners. And I, you know, I, I think that, that I, I think that Dan Harmon is saying like, look, I'm one of these guys too. Like I, you know, and I, I'll grant him that. I absolutely, I agree. Yeah, he's putting himself in that class, but to be clear, he's not
1: saying through the Abed speech that like those folks have tried to make sequels and have not done so well, and I'm going to do better than that, right? Or is there some? I I think think
0: he's talking about. I don't know. I think he's talking about maybe Die Hard (laughs) two, or maybe George (laughs) Lucas, or maybe Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, or maybe Terminator three, you know. Right, so like the the um that the look, I think that that even if it doesn't sort of capture the, recapture the magic of the the original, um, I think that the Dungeons and Dragons sequel is a better sequel than Terminator Three was a sequel. You know, I mean that's uh, if I'm you're trying, trying to
1: say, damn with if you're trying to damn with faint praise, Matt, you're doing a good job. I don't think you are trying to do that. So on that note, I think I'd better cast a um, a a end the recap spell. Right? Am I doing that right? Do I have all the the necessary uh, spell reagents? Hold on. Let me
0: let me up. let me roll. Ah, oh, yes. You successfully cast. Uh, <laughs> you successfully cast the end the recap spell.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay. So uh, while you all go off and uh, conduct meager tasks to improve your dexterity, so that you can eventually level up. Uh, for next uh, the next uh, o- 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 Overthinking It community recap, which I think is going to be in a couple of weeks, the uh, first week of May, I think, community is going to come back. Um, so while you're off doing that, uh, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where you can uh, earn some more experience points and subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve.